I have a wonderful friend that I met in seminary. We spent four years together, and after those four year, years passed, we now live in completely different states. He's still in Texas. I'm here in Pennsylvania, obviously, but we stay in touch as much as we can. And if we can't talk to each other, well, at least text each other, at the very least, uh, once a week. And uh, this week, he texted me, and we were going over the basics of how are you doing, how are things going, how's your wife, how's your family. And then inevitably, we get to a list, our to-do list, things that must be done, things that must be started, must be fixed, must be addressed, must be corrected. You get the idea. Life feels like a to-do list. We get so concerned with what we must do that I end up failing at what I should do, paying attention to my family, my friends, my relationships. And so what I do is I work harder to complete the list of things I need to do so that I can get time to be with my family, my friends, my relationships. But then I fail at that and find I just have no energy left to spend on the things that I really should be doing. And pretty soon I've got to admit that the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And you know what this is like too. You know what it's like to focus so much on the demands of life, on your to-do list, on the things you've just got to get done, that you don't have time to focus on the who and the what that you would really prefer to focus on. They only get the leftovers. Sometimes math even feels like a ma- uh, life feels like a math problem. We say, well, for every three feet you move forward, you slide back two feet. At this rate, how long will it take to reach your goal 50 feet away? And if you're like me, you'll say, I don't know. I'll figure it out later. Add it to the list. And together we moan, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. And it doesn't matter if you have an easy job or a demanding job. It doesn't matter um, if you're retired or not. They say retirement isn't any better because you fill it up with other things to do. It doesn't matter if you're a student, if you're working, if you're staying at home. We all know the struggle of having things we feel we've got to do. And it just pushes us and pushes us and pushes us. But then we can also be honest and realistic about this. We know that even though the struggle is real, these kind of things are only surface level. If we really needed to, if we really wanted to, we could find ways to manage this better. We could read books, we could listen to podcasts, we could do Bible studies, we could listen to speakers. It's possible to not be ruled by our to-do list. But the struggle is real. But our driving question today isn't about the struggle of our to-do list, I want to ask you about your spiritual to-do list instead, your spiritual to-do list. Have you ever felt like in order to be a good Christian, in order to, to do this faith thing right, you've got to do certain things? You've got to do certain things. And if it's not done, then you think that Jesus just hates you. You have to do so many things to make up for one bad decision. You say, well, I really messed up here, but if I do this, then I think we're good. I really shouldn't have done that, but as long as I do this, we're good. Or we go down the list and, and we just find out over and over again how we, we've messed up. And we start to think that 
Jesus could never want us because we haven't met the rules and the regulations. And our Christian walk becomes discouraged and disengaged because we try and try and try again only to fail and fail and fail again. So rather than even mess with that, we turn to other things. We isolate ourselves. We turn to drugs, to pleasure, to anger, to apathy. We'd uh, rather work hard at our other list to cover the wound of, of not doing enough for God, of not feeling like we're worthy of his love. Anything. We'll do anything to take the focus off of this one troubling fact. We don't feel good enough for Jesus. We don't feel good enough for Jesus because we're not keeping up with our spiritual to-do list. We're not keeping up with everything we need to be doing, and we can't help but say the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Even if you're a Christian, even if you're a Christian, you've got this nagging feeling that you're not up to par. Whether it's something intentional or unintentional in your life, uh, there's something that keeps you from really living out your faith. Or maybe you just don't even want to consider Christianity because you think there are all these rules, you think there are these regulations, and you know that every Christian that says they do it is a hypocrite, and you just don't want to associate with that. Because nobody can really satisfy all these rules. And even if you don't fall into one of these categories, you know somebody who does. You know somebody who does. And that leads us to some good news, and it's what I want to talk to you about today. The struggle is real, but Jesus is better. The struggle is real, but Jesus is better. Jesus understood the struggle. He lived in a society where people said, uh, look, you've got to do this, this, and this in order to have any chance at God loving you. He understood the struggle. We're going to look at Matthew today. Uh, just after he actually condemned entire cities for putting too much focus on dotting every I and crossing every T. He's talking to people who were so focused on the do that they missed out on the who. They were so focused on the do that they missed out on the who. We'll start in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. You see, we see that phrase, wise and intelligent. You've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. It has nothing to do with smart people. Nothing to do with smart people. It's about proud people. Proud people. People who were proud of the knowledge they had of the laws and of the requirements. People who worked really, really hard just to keep a set of requirements. They exhibited no humility. And that's where the infant's part comes in. Jesus wanted people to be childlike. He said it was necessary to have a childlike faith in order to understand how plainly and simply Jesus came and offered himself to people. Some people were so focused on their to-do list that they couldn't accept who Jesus was or what he said he'd do. It's the difference between pride and humility. 
said, if you're proud, these things are hidden from you. But he's revealed them to infants. Because pride and humility are complete opposites. These people were so proud of saying the right prayers, doing the right things, not doing the wrong things, not eating the wrong things, that there was no chance for them to exhibit the humility necessary to accept Jesus. You see, pride, when you're proud, the people Jesus was talking to, the people in those cities, they thought they had earned everything they had. They thought they had earned everything they had. But Jesus said, no, you need to exhibit humility. And when you're humble, you say, no, I've been given everything I have. It's the difference between law and grace. Law says you meet these requirements, you'll get this result. You, you do all these things right, you'll get this. Grace says, it doesn't matter what you've done. I'm giving this to you. It's my gift, a free gift. And Jesus never teaches that you can earn salvation. He never teaches that you can earn salvation. He always teaches that it is a gift. It is by grace. A great way to think about salvation is this. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ every time. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ every time. This was drilled into us in seminary. They wanted us to remember that salvation is not earned. It's not based on knowledge. It's not based on me. It's all based on Jesus. It's all based on Jesus. In other words, there is no place for a to-do list in your salvation story. And if you're sitting there this morning thinking, well, I've done this, 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 and this. I'm good with God this morning. That's not the salvation that Jesus offers. The salvation Jesus offers is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And the people he was talking to didn't get that. They thought they had to earn his grace, earn his favor. In fact, there's an ugly name for living like that. We call it legalism. Legalism. It's the version of Judaism that Jesus was very against as we read scripture. And it's the version of Christianity that he's against today. Nothing you can do on your own will ever save you. Nothing you can do on your own will ever save you. It's all about Christ. It's all about grace. It's all about a free gift that he offers. Salvation is always about a who, never a to do. Salvation is always about a who, never a to do. And the people that he's talking to didn't get that. That's why he was able to say that entire cities were doomed because they were so worried about what they were doing. Were they doing enough to have his favor? It's never about what you do. It's always about who, and that who is Jesus Christ. Now, take a little bit of an aside here, because you might be thinking, well, don't pastors typically get up front and tell me what I should do or shouldn't do? Yes. Yes, we do. We base it on God's word, so we have the authority of God uh, to do that. But the reason we don't just always say uh, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is because if we've got a group of Christians together, our job as pastors is not to keep telling you what you already know and what you've already experienced. It's to draw you into fuller and more complete experience with Jesus Christ. The, uh, it's called shepherding. And shepherding a flock requires helping the flock to mature. So when, it preaches, uh, when a pastor preaches that you... Uh, 
should trust God with your money or that you should do something more or shouldn't do something. It's not because they're trying to come down on you and it in no way impacts your salvation, but it can enhance your sanctification. Those are two big church words. Salvation being Jesus Christ has given you eternal life by grace through faith in Christ. That is salvation. Sanctification is becoming more and more like Christ so that you can learn to appreciate that relationship, learn to love him deeper, learn to serve him more. And so when you hear a a sermon, your choice to apply the Bible, apply what you hear on Sunday morning, apply a Bible study, it should all result in growing closer and closer to Christ, which should make you very happy. So even if you have to give up something, it should make you happy. Even if you have to do something more, it should make you happy because in the process, you're coming closer and closer to your Savior. But it has nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation is a free gift by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is always about a who, never a to do. And once you understand this, once we get that out of the way, we can grow closer to the Father. And that's by design. That's the way God intended it to be. Check out the next verse in this. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That could sound a little bit confusing. But basically, Jesus says, Everything has been given to me by God, the Father. And no one knows me except for him. And nobody knows him except for me. Therefore, the only way for you to know him is to know me. That's what he's saying. The only way we can have fellowship with God is through the Son. And the entire Old Testament is about this. It's about people who are going through life, uh, struggling, trying to make their relationship right with God, and they kept messing it up. They kept failing at it. Because nobody can do it except the Son. Nobody can do it except the Son. The only way we can have fellowship with God is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus establishes this. He lives this out. Anywhere you turn in in Scripture, you'll see that, that this holds true. And after establishing this, where he says it's not about the proud who come to Jesus, but those who humble themselves. He didn't leave them in despair. He didn't say, well, those cities are doomed, and if you don't do this, well, then too bad. I'm going to go after these people. He didn't do that. He didn't leave them in despair and make them try to figure it out on their own. He offered an invitation. He offered a simple invitation. And think about what a big deal this was. The society was such, they were so ingrained in this way of living, so ingrained in thinking they had to do something in order for God to love them, that it caused Jesus to rebuke entire cities. So it had to be pretty serious. So imagine this, in the midst of a society where they say, do, 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 and maybe God will love you. Jesus didn't say do. He didn't say do. He said, come to me. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. 
from a life of do, 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 do to come to me. I will give you rest. What a difference. What a difference. No more trying to climb the ladder. No more trying to earn acceptance. Jesus just says, come. And they learn salvation is not based on them. It's based on him. They learn salvation is not based on them. It's based on him. He goes on to explain how to move from a to-do religion, a religion based on what you do, to a relationship with him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Note the freedom. Nobody's forced into this. Nobody's forced into this. They're invited. They're invited into a relationship that means they don't have to strive for God's acceptance on their own. Because if you're yoked with somebody, you're not alone. If you're yoked with somebody, you are not alone. Yoking comes from the idea of pairing animals together. One is stronger than the other, and they share a load. And the stronger animal uh, helps the weaker animal learn the process, learn what's needed. It's an example that would have been easily understood in that day because uh, agriculture was such a, a big deal and they used animals for, for much of their daily activity. And so not only would they uh, share the yoke with Jesus, but he says, he describes it. He says, the yoke is easy, easy and the burden is light. The yoke is easy, the burden is light. How much easier would life be for them? Even as they go through the hardships, even as they go through the sorrow and the struggles, how much easier would it be for them when you're not trying to go through life and earn God's favor? When you're yoked to Jesus and you already have his favor upon you, you know you're accepted. You're in relationship with Christ. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Despite all the trouble, you're keeping in step with Christ along the way. That's really what we need to know today. If we think the struggle is real, we need to know that salvation is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. Salvation is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. If you're worn out by a religion, if you are brought up by a religion that says you have to do, 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 pay attention to what Jesus is saying. He says, come, all who are weary and heavy laden. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. In other words, come, all who have been trying to earn what I'll just give you. If you've been trying to earn this, stop and just come to me. I want to give it to you. It's a gift. Take my yoke. You've been under this yoke of thinking you have to do so much to earn my favor, and that's just not the way it works. Take my yoke. It's easy. It's easy. 
But notice what else he says. It's not just about being yoked to Jesus. He has a purpose for our yoked relationship as well. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. We learn from him. Literally, that means become my disciple. Become my disciple. This idea of yoking is a great image of discipleship, and it should be because Jesus came up with it. The stronger helps the weaker, so the weaker can become stronger, so he or she can help another who is weaker, so they can become stronger, so they can help somebody else who is weaker, so they can become stronger to help somebody else who is weaker, and we see how discipleship works wonderfully. In fact, Jesus intended this to be what they would get out of this because uh, here he says, be my, be my disciple. But at the very end of the book, he says, go make disciples. He says, be my disciple, then go make disciples. You've learned from me, now go teach others. Teach others how to come under my yoke. Teach others about the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light. Salvation is always about a who, never a to do. If you've heard the phrase, it's not about religion, it's about relationship, this is what that means. It's not about doing, doing, doing. It's about knowing Christ, accepting his invitation. So if you're tired of doing religion, this is for you. If you've never done religion, don't skip that part and just come to Jesus. Go through life with him. Learn from him. If you think you're too bad or that it's too late in your life for you to be a part of this type of a relationship with him, remember what, he, what we're told in the scriptures. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all on the same playing field. And the salvation he offers is a free gift so that no one can boast. Remember, he's against pride. It's not about who's farther along. It's about accepting the invitation in the first place. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Accepting this invitation doesn't mean hard times aren't going to come. Some of you know that all too well. You know that life is hard, that life doesn't go the way you would choose for it to go. The world is full of sin and sickness and disappointment. But the Bible says that Jesus came to save those who believe in him so that they won't perish. They won't fall victim to that sin and disappointment. Instead, they will enjoy eternal life. It's a great truth for us this morning. But the fact is, we live in a world that still believes the struggle is real. They believe the struggle is real. Our job is to remind them that Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. What would accepting this invitation mean for you this morning? What would it mean for us if we accepted the invitation? What would our churches and our families, our packs and our troops our places of employment, our schools? What would they look like if Christians stopped trying so hard? 
to earn what Christ is giving us freely. And instead just took his yoke upon him, shouldered the, shouldered the burden, which he promises us is light. What would it mean for us to stop thinking that coming to church makes us right with God? Because it doesn't. That's just another thing on the to-do list that we like to check off. It does expose us over and over and over again, though, to who Christ is. To who Christ is. And we're able to be taught about how to love him more. We get to sing songs to him so that we can tell him we love him. So that our relationship can be strengthened. It doesn't mean we're saved or not saved. It means because we're saved, we sing praise to you. We give glory to you. It's our honor to lift our voices to the one who is worthy. We can go to concerts of our favorite artists and we'll just sing at the top of our lungs and then we come to church and sing a worship song and can barely get our mouth open. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Coming to Jesus does. Coming to church helps you to grow that relationship. Here's another question for you. What would this message mean to somebody who feels like they're just a perpetual disappointment? Somebody who's never had somebody in their life to tell them they're worthwhile, never made them feel like they matter. What would it mean for them if we were to tell them there's, there's a Savior who says, come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There are people longing to know that such a relationship is possible and it's found in God's word. It's found in our Savior. What would it look like for us to stop looking down our noses at people who don't do what we wish they would do? People who don't have it all together. And instead share with them the simple invitation to come to Christ. We live in a society that truly believes the struggle is real. And unless they know Jesus, it is. But as Christians, we get to say the struggle is real, but Jesus is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first I pray for all of us, myself included, who have fallen into the trap of thinking we must do things to get you to love us. I think we must do things to be good enough for you. In a world where that was happening, Jesus came and he put a stop to it. He said, no, it's not about what you do, it's about me, it's about Christ. May we remember that. May we be encouraged by that. May we feel the love in that. That you don't want us to make some sort of change before we come to you. You want us to come to you and be changed as we grow in relationship with you. Father, I offer you all the glory and the praise for a message like this that just says, come. We don't need to worry about religious to-do lists. We don't have to do anything in particular in order for you to find favor with us. 
we just come. We come. We accept his invitation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that this is the same one who predicted his death and said he would die and that he would rise again and then he actually did it. We can trust him. We can believe him. And it's through his name, the name of Christ, that we can even come to you in this time of prayer. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.